Hello and welcome to the BNP Paribas Markets 360 podcast. We cover the topics that matter from the global economy to market strategy. Hello, I'm Trevor Allen, Head of Sustainability Research here at Markets 360. And today I'm joined by Sumati Simavoy-Jane, Sustainability Research Analyst on my team. It's Tuesday morning here in London on the 17th of January, 2023. 2022 ended with COP15, the dedicated UN Biodiversity Summit held every two years, where a global framework was finalized, setting the agenda for the decade to come. Today, we thought we would come back to what's been achieved and the outlook for 2023 in the biodiversity space. Samati, to kick things off, what did you think of the progress that was made in 2022? 2022 was a pivotal year, all about uniting and goal setting in biodiversity. Indeed, even if the final framework is far from perfect, it does include some positive steps and has gathered substantial interest from the private sector for the first time. Now, upcoming years will be about follow through and execution because the, st- the hard work for policymaker really starts now. The private sector has already started to engage on the topic but we do expect substantial improvements over the next two years in a number of areas. This is thanks to more frameworks, scenarios, and tools that will be launched in upcoming months to help investors screen and track nature-related exposures and dependencies. And how would you qualify the overall language of the document? The multifaceted solution that the framework offers to halting biodiversity loss is positive, calling for involvement of both public and private actors at all levels. But the overall language undermines the ambition level. For example, caveats such as taking into account national circumstances, priorities, and socioeconomic conditions were added or some quantified goals were removed, making it difficult to hold governments accountable. The next two years will see the development of a methodology to track country progress and the refinement of the targets to set the pathway to halt and reverse biodiversity loss. Although the next UN Biodiversity Summit will only take place at the end of 2024, The 2023 calendar is strong. For example, we could see the theme picked up at the New York Climate Week, and we expect biodiversity to occupy a good amount of space at this year's UN Climate Conference, COP28. For example, COP28 could spend more time on the role of nature-based solutions, i.e. addressing climate change through the restoration of natural ecosystems. For example, restoring mangroves in coastal areas can reduce the impact of storms on human lives while enhancing the local biodiversity. Also importantly, the framework calls for 30% of land and seas to be protected by 2030. But missing in the discussions were the seas falling beyond national borders, once called the high seas. This represents more than 60% of our oceans. Looking ahead, this year we'll see the return of UN negotiations on those precious areas currently subject to overfishing and exploitation. Indeed, the watered-down language is the main drawback of the framework. 
On conservation, it seems there could also be a risk that countries could inflate their numbers given the lack of clear definitions. But the next two years should see improvements on that front and around increased transparency as well. Sumati, what about nature-intensive industries, though? Do you think COP15 made a compelling case for adopting better practices going forward? Results were mixed, mostly driven by the difficulty to apply global targets for countries at different stages of development. For example, in agriculture, regional differences in food security and inflation prevail and therefore make it difficult to mandate a certain percentage reduction in pesticide use. The final doc doesn't even mention fertilizers but it does call for halving excess nutrients lost to the environment more generally, thus promoting a more efficient use of those chemicals, if any. In advanced economies, stepping up regenerative agriculture coupled with technological advances will no doubt be seen as the way forward and be reflected in future policy changes. Moreover, encouragingly, COP15 has kept intact the goal of reforming at least half a trillion US dollars of harmful subsidies annually by 2030, equivalent to two-thirds of the annual investment gap needed to stop biodiversity loss. Changing incentives will push more producers and companies to divert away from harmful practices. No doubt that some other elements are needed to see substantial progress, such as one further biotech advances. So for example, a way to fix nitrogen more naturally, um, it could be improving crops resiliency and reducing fossil fuel dependencies. The second one could be mainstreaming uh, innovative data tools. This can be the use of drones for vegetation management or eDNA to monitor soil health and quality. Third example that comes to my mind is um, maybe appropriate and accessible land and soil valuation techniques. So to reward conservation efforts and reflecting the true cost of extract extracting from nature. Now, otherwise, there have already been uh, quite good progress in addressing deforestation with a number of companies pledging to eliminate the exposure to deforestation-linked commodities. The one part we have not discussed yet is the area that contains the vast majority of the world's biodiversity, emerging market countries. Has COP15 offered any support for these nations through either natural capital accounting systems or direct inflows? To our surprise, the ambition level for international aid to emerging markets was raised and quantified. The framework aims for annual flows of 20 billion US dollars by 2025 and uh, 30 billion US dollars uh, by 2030. So almost doubling what was originally in the, in the framework. And um, EM countries are calling for a biodiversity fund to be set up this year, likely under the Global Environment Facility. We also expect innovation from multinational development banks, useful vehicles for crowding in private investors with, for example, ways to unlock returns for investors in the nature space. There's been uh, talks around, for example, payments in carbon or biodiversity credits for nature swaps instead of coupon payments. And talking about returns, where are the investment opportunities at the moment in this space? 
truly all along the value chain, something we have discussed in previous uh, podcasts, actually. And um, in particular, the circular economy will continue to gather a lot of interest, providing well-rounded solutions to a range of industries at the interplay of climate and biodiversity, and with clear commercial opportunities, especially in an inflationary environment. Yes, indeed. We have created a number of investment options for our clients in the biodiversity space, and we expect to add to these strategies as 2023 is positioning to be a year of action for biodiversity. Thank you, Samati, and thank you for listening. And don't forget to check back soon for more updates from the sustainability markets. This communication does not constitute research, a recommendation, or any form of advice from BMP Paribas or its affiliates. It does not consider your financial circumstances or objectives, and it may not be suitable for you. It should not be copied or reproduced in whole or in part.